Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. I'm Jeremy Howard. I'm the pastor of Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah, and glad you're joining me today. I am going to be kind of shooting from the hip today. It's been uh, really busy, got a lot going on, and I don't have a lot of time. Maybe that will actually keep this to that 15-minute goal I always talk about. Uh, and I trust you'll <clears throat> just bear with me as maybe this episode isn't going to be the best in the world. Maybe it will be. Either way, you're listening, right? Thanks. Thanks for being here. And if you want to uh, hear me speak in a way that's definitely not rushed and much more prepared, you can always join us here on Sunday mornings. We meet at 9.30 for Sunday school for all ages, and we have a uh, main corporate worship service at 10.45 every Sunday here in Payson at Orchard Hills Bible Church. So today, uh, what I'm going to do is walk through Exodus 3. We are now in the book of Exodus in this Come Follow Me Bible Challenge series, following the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints schedule of going through the Old Testament. And what I want to do is just read through chapter 3, stopping along and giving some commentary along the way. At the book of Exodus begins with Moses, of course, uh, being spared as many children were being killed in Egypt in that time. Uh, the nation of Israel was in Egypt, and uh, Moses's life was threatened from the time he was born. And yet he was spared. He was put in a basket, and he was sent down river. Surely you know this story. He was miraculously spared by God. I shouldn't say miraculously, because it technically wasn't a miracle. He was providentially preserved by God, and he was growing up as a Hebrew in Egypt, he actually, if you read, um, perhaps it's the start of chapter 2, I believe it is, uh, he was actually a murderer, Moses was. He killed a guy. He, uh, you can read all about that in the beginning of Exodus. And because he killed a guy, he went on the run, and he ended up in the land of Midian. He ended up marrying a gal and living there with her family. Jethro, his father-in-law, was a priest in the land of Midian, and that's where Moses was. And Israel was in Egypt as slaves. If you remember the end of Genesis, we've got Jacob's sons, uh, Joseph and the gang. They're all down in Egypt. They stay down in Egypt. They become slaves in the land of Egypt, and they are under the harsh hand of Pharaoh. And this goes on for a really long time, history-wise. But God is using this time to grow Israel into a great nation. God always has a purpose in what he's doing. He had great purpose in taking Israel down there. He had great purpose in causing them to live in oppression and to suffer. He's telling one amazing, big, grand story for his glory, and this is a part of that story. So Israel's down in Egypt. Moses, the murderer, is on the run. He's in the land of Midian, and the people uh, of God, Israel, they are slaves in Egypt but are being grown uh, to uh, millions of people. We're talking about like two million people at this time. And... Uh, the book of Exodus means they're going to be exiting. <laughs> they will be exiting the land of Egypt. There will be a great exodus that God is going to bring the Israelites through. Uh, this truly is miraculous. He's going to work some miracles in bringing Israel out of Egypt. They're going to be led by Moses the murderer. Well, today we're going to learn some more about Moses as we're just looking at chapter 3. We're just going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3. So let's start with verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. Wow. So we just kind of have to stop here for a moment and say, what? (laughs) Moses was just kind of doing his thing. And then the angel of the Lord appeared. This isn't the first time we've seen this title, but it's the first time we'll pause on that title in this series. The angel of the Lord appeared to him as the bush was burning with fire. And notice it says that the angel appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. In a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. Who is the angel of the Lord? Well, if you uh, are tracking with this title as it's used in the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again that the title of the angel of the Lord is used in parallel, synonymously with God. The angel of the Lord is God himself. And so uh, it's it's a pretty interesting thing where... You've got the angel appearing to him, an interesting thing in this case is what I'm saying, the angel appearing to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And it goes on to say, verse 3, Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And verse 4 says, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Who called to him from the midst of the bush? Well, God did. God called to him from the midst of the bush. But it says that the angel of the Lord, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. So what you have is a personification of God in this person of the angel of the Lord. Again, this isn't the only place you'll see this in the Old Testament. You'll see it in a variety of places where God is appearing to people as the angel of the Lord. Pretty remarkable stuff. And uh, now we have this interaction going between the two, God himself and Moses. Verse 5, it says, Then God said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is uh, the term Elohim being used for God through this passage. If you see Lord in all caps, as it is here in verse 4, that's the name Yahweh, and that's going to come up here momentarily. But these other usages where it's God, just capital G-O-D, that's the word Elohim. And so uh, it might be important for you to note that this angel of the Lord who is speaking to him, who is God, that's Elohim talking to him. And Elohim also says that uh, he is the Lord. We'll see that later in the passage, but you also see it in the narrative here. It says, when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look, Elohim called to him from the midst of the bush. These aren't two different beings. This is but one being, God. And God tells Moses, you're standing on holy ground. 
<laughs> so what, what he's basically saying is I'm displaying my glory before you. I am showing my power before you. You are seeing a special manifestation of my presence. Respond accordingly. <laughs> that means remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Okay. Verse six. Oh, we already read verse six. He says, I'm the God of your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. Okay, he's grasping. It's holy ground. Verse 7, the Lord said, oh, this is Yahweh now. Again, same being. Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from a land to a good and spacious land to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Verse 9, Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Now that's a legitimate question, right? <laughs> You're Moses. Pretend to be Moses for a moment. You are where you are in life because you killed a guy and you ran away. And for the last several years, I think 40 years, I think Moses at this time is 80. Um, I think perhaps he's 40. Maybe Moses's life can be divided up 40, 80, uh, and then he dies at 120. He has like these key moments. So I, I might be mixing that up, but he's an older, he's an older man at this point. He's not a boy and he has killed a man and he's been on the run and he's in the land of Midian and he's just out taking care of the sheep. So we, look back at this story and we know who Moses is, right? We, we know all about Moses and the 10 commandments movie and all the things that God's going to do in Moses's life. And so we see the name of Moses and we think of all that. You have to kind of erase that at this time and just think who is Moses to this point in his life? Well, he's a nobody. In fact, he's a, he's a murdering nobody. <laughs> he's just out taking care of sheep. On the lamb. Well, it's kind of a pun in this case, isn't it? So Moses responds and says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Great point. And it says, verse 12, that God responded to him, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Wow. That's going to be the sign. That's how you're going to know. God's going to deliver his people. He's going to be with Moses the whole time. And then when it's all over, they're actually going to worship or serve God right there at that very mountain. Then Moses said to God, verse 13, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, now they may say to me, what is his name? 
So, God, this is what Moses is asking, what shall I say to them when they ask, what is his name? This is where it gets really interesting. God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. All right, that's a pretty amazing response. God says, tell them that the I am has sent me to you. And furthermore, (laughs) you shall say to the sons of Israel, Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, and the Elohim of Jacob has sent me to you. Wow. Well, what's this I am who I am business? This is a hotly debated uh, verse because there, there are so many different things it could mean. What does this name I am who I am mean? Well, um, the name is actually best understood as I am. You see in verse 14, God said to Moses in response to what is your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So the term, sorry about that noise, the term or the name I am is he's using it as his name. His name is I am. Why? Sorry for that noise. (laughs) Why is he using that name? Well, there are different ways to interpret this, but I think what makes the most sense is that God is absolutely eternal. He is self-existent. There is none other like him. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the ever-present one. That's why it's a present tense B verb, I am. In fact, uh, there's, a, there's a great book out there by Matt Foreman and Doug Van Dorn titled The Angel of the Lord. I would recommend this as a really good study on uh, the angel we're reading about in Exodus 3. But they also take a moment in this uh, section on Exodus 3, when they're describing who the angel of the Lord is here, to talk about the I Am name. And they quote Alexander McLaren, someone I really love reading. He's very poetic. He wrote... All other being is derived, and therefore limited and changeful. He wrote in a different time, if you couldn't tell. This being, God, is underived, absolute, self-dependent, and therefore unalterable forevermore. Because we live, we die. And living, the process, is going on of which death is the end. But God lives forevermore, a flame that does not burn out. Therefore, his resources are inexhaustible, his power unwearied. He gives and is none the poorer. He works and is never weary. He operates unspent. He loves and he loves forever. And through the ages, the fire burns on unconsumed and undecayed. That's pretty cool to think about the nature of God being revealed in the name I am, the one who's sending Moses. But also there's this idea of God being with his people. 
when he's telling Moses, I am, he's also saying, in a sense, I am with you. In fact, we see that earlier in the passage. It was just a couple of verses before. Uh, God tells Moses in verse 12, certainly I will be with you. I will be with you. And then he goes on to say, he's the I am. So not only is is he the eternally present one, he is the eternally present one who is present with his people always. I think we got both things going on there, which is pretty amazing. God is so unlike us. He doesn't have an existence like ours that began, but God is eternally the I am. He is Yahweh. He is Elohim. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who's always with his people. And by invoking, of course, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's bringing to mind for an Israelite the great covenant promises he made to these patriarchs and how he promised to always be with them unconditionally. He plucked them out of the world and said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be with you. Same thing happening to Moses. This shepherd murderer who is out there tending to his sheep, he gets plucked out and God says, "Uh, you're it, I'm going to use you. Wow. Wow, pretty amazing. Verse 16, God says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the God, Elohim, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. God cares about his people, doesn't he? He made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that continues on to their offspring, and he is concerned about his people, Israel. So I said, God continues, verse 17, So I said, I will bring you up out of the land, rather out of the affliction of Egypt, to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 18, They will pay heed to what you say and You with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. (laughs) How does God know that? Because we're going to find out in short order here, God raised up Pharaoh for this very purpose. This is God working in Pharaoh's life to put him in this position for this very purpose, to attempt to thwart his will so that God can prove that he is the ultimate sovereign and Pharaoh is not. You thought we were talking about sovereignty a lot in the book of Genesis. Well, just wait till you see God's sovereignty on display in the book of Exodus. Uh, As the great poets of our culture have said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Ba-ba-ba-baby, but you ain't seen nothing yet. Okay, verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand, God says, and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, 
and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. That had to seem pretty unreal to Moses at that time. Plunder the Egyptians, the ones who have us in slavery, the ones who are harsh toward us, afflicting us. We're going to plunder them. Just wait to see what God will do. One last note on I am. Here's a pretty amazing thing. John chapter 8. The gospel of John is a great companion to the book of Exodus, by the way. A lot of Jesus's life and ministry, his teaching is pulled from the book of Exodus. In John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus said to the religious Jews of the day, your father, sorry for that noise again, if you heard that, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. So Abraham had, of course, this promise from God that his seed would bless the whole world. And we don't know all the details of what God revealed to him, but we know some of them. Either way, Jesus says, Abraham, the father of the Jews, rejoiced to see Jesus's day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? How do you know what Abraham saw or rejoiced to see? How do you know that Abraham was glad and thinking about your day, young man? That's what they're asking him. And look at what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham came into being, I am. Now that's bad grammar, right? Because Jesus should have said, I was. Before Abraham was, I was. Because, you know, Jesus, of course, is saying that he pre-existed Abraham. But that's not all Jesus is saying. He uses this bad grammar on purpose. He is linking himself to the name I am, the God, the one true God of Israel, who called to Moses out of the bush, who delivered Israel from Egypt, who was worthy of all worship and praise from all eternity until now. Jesus is the one true God of the universe, and he pulls from this amazing statement that he made to Moses. And he uses it, speaking to the Jews of his day, to declare to them that he is God. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Lots to see. And uh, I shot past the 15-minute mark again. Well, too much to say. Hope this study was helpful to you. If you have any thoughts or questions, feel free to reach out. You can uh, find us on Facebook if you're listening to this somewhere else, Orchard Hills Bible Church, or you can go to orchardhillsbiblechurch.com. Let us know what you think. We'd love to help you understand more about the Bible. We'd love to help you know the God of the Bible and his message of grace to save people from their sins. Thanks for listening. God bless.